0: From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology and the colored shavings. Welcome back to The Dairy Show, everyone. I'm your host, Katie Schmidt, and we are officially hitting our two-year anniversary of this podcast, and we are also just days away from World Dairy Expo. So, I've got a special guest joining us this week from Petaluma, California, Alex Gambonini. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on The Dairy Show. Well, it's great to have you. And can you share a little bit with listeners about yourself? Who are you? What's your connection to your culture?
1: Yes. So, I grew up on my family's dairy farm in Petaluma, California. And for those of you who do not know, that would be uh, roughly an hour north of San Francisco. So not your typical California dairy farm in the Central Valley. I'm much closer to the coast and grew up on a 275 cow dairy farm. Um, we converted to organic in 2007. In our area, our county is mainly organic dairy farms. So it's a little different than your typical California setting. A lot of green pastures. Everybody's very pasture-based. We have a lot of land over here. And if it's not dairies around here, it's usually grapes. We are right in wine country. Um, I live in Sonoma County, which neighbors Napa County. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that area. So I grew up um, on my family's dairy and I was in 4-H and FFA. I was heavily involved in the Holstein Associations, went to state and national hosting conventions. Because of my being raised on a dairy farm, I decided to get my bachelor's degree in dairy science and ag business from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And eventually got my master's at the University of Minnesota in applied economics with a focus on ag. And then to top it all off, I decided to continue working in the dairy industry. And I am now an
0: agricultural economist for the California Federal Milk Marketing Order. Wow, that is this is great. You have such a fun background for where we're going to go with this conversation. So let's actually go towards California dairy in general, Alex. You said your dairy is not what people think of when they think California, and that's certainly true for myself. But can you describe what typical California dairy looks like? So, I, and I do want to start off by saying we did sell
1: our cows in 2019. So I still we still live on the property. We have a lot of different things going on these days, and we we love show animals. So of course we have you know all the show heifers still on our operation, and then we have cows at so many different dairies around the state. <laughs> So a typical California dairy in my eyes, when I went to Cal Poly, we did dairy challenge, dairy judging, and going to those farms are a lot of times larger scale, not the 200 cow dairy that I'm used to, more 500, 1,000, 2,000 cow farms, obviously not pasture-based like I'm used to, uh, freestyle barns, larger parlors, just kind of a different, larger scale look at the dairy industry. And a lot hotter for the record. Like very, like this week we have a heat wave in Petaluma and it's across the state. And in the valley it is definitely a lot hotter than it is here today.
0: <laughs> so why is there this bubble of organic dairies in Sonoma County where you're at? So I am the fifth generation on my family's
1: uh, home ranch. And so when our family moved to this area, this area is pretty much all rolling hills. We're green for half of the year. I'd say typically November, December through March, April, May, we can be green. And as everybody knows, there's a drought in California, so it hasn't been that green lately. But just the landscape of the dairy industry in Sonoma County, just having the pasture, it just made a lot of sense for people to convert to organic. And then um, a lot of our uh, fluid milk processors in this area started taking on organic milk, and it just kind of seemed like a no-brainer for all the operations. You didn't really have to change your management style all that much because everybody was already using the pasture and land that they already had.
0: Yeah, it's very different. We have Organic Valley here in Wisconsin is where they're headquartered at, so we see a lot of that style of dairying here as well. Alex, what does the farm, or ranch as you called it, look like today?
1: Today, we have a lot of different things going on. Um, Once we sold our cows in August of 2019, our family has been on this property for so long, none of us wanted to give that away. We are across from vineyards um, on our current ranch, and we had all this pasture. We have roughly 540 acres that we were just using as pasture land. So my dad and my grandpa decided to partner on some beef cattle. They started out with 10 beef heifers, and that has since multiplied. And I believe starting this fall um, or later this year, they're going to start selling their first crop of steers. So it's pretty exciting, a little bit different. Um, we're not sure how we're gonna sell those yet. We're thinking of maybe doing some you know, individual marketing and trying to see if people wanna buy a portion of a steer or um, market individual meats. And we are still organic, so we can call it organic grass-fed beef, which really works in our area. We're so close to San Francisco. It's kind of a niche market that really works for our area. So in addition to the beef cattle and the heifers that we still have around here, my mom, she didn't grow up on a dairy farm, but she has a knack for design. She is very good with anything relating to home decor, interior design. She's able to visualize things that aren't there for me. So um, she created my great grandma's house uh, into a vacation rental. So it's just below our milk barn, actually. So there's heifers that kind of surround the vacation rental. And so it's kind of a fun farm stay for guests. And she has that rented out almost every weekend. It's very popular. And then um, more recently, we once we sold the cows in 2020, we were deciding something to do. So my parents decided to go out of their usual box and do a pumpkin farm. We did a farm stand for a year during COVID, which had a lot of issues in itself, but it was nice for some people to be able to bring their kids somewhere where there wasn't a lot of people since they were able to get outside. It was all outside. They could go pick their own pumpkins and things like that. Um, Since then, we've been very busy. We've kind of put that on the back burner and maybe we'll come back to it next year. But we have started the conversion of our old hay barn and calf barn into an event venue and ag promotional tourism venue. So it's been very busy. Um, What once was, you know, cow poop and stanchions and hay all over the place is now a beautiful redwood lined barn that has so many completely new cement, everything. And it's it looks completely different than it used to. What's the vision for the egg promotion part of it? So my mom's vision because we have such deep roots in agriculture, going into something like that, we didn't want to be you know, strictly weddings or events. Um, we're really looking at the idea of including agriculture in everything we do. One of her ideas is stemming off of the farm stand we did a couple of years ago is doing maybe like weekend in the fall or spring farmer's market events where you can come and have a booth for your product. And for example, my dad was talking about our beef or something as a product that we could sell. Um, And having different vendors come and a way for everybody to come under one roof. And the barn is very large. It's 15,000 square feet. It can hold a lot of people. Um, So something like that would work really well. And then as well, last month, we had a special event for the first time. We had what they called the Wind to Wine uh, Festival. Um, It's for the Petaluma Gap wine region. And they had, I think it was like 27 different wineries come And you paid for a ticket, it was like $65, and you could drink as much wine as you want and try all these wines from different vendors and everything. It was very fun. And it was kind of fun to have an event like that where it included agriculture. And, you know, our our family and friends were all a part of it and able to be, you know, still agriculture, but still doing something
0: completely new for us. I'm going to need to know when the next one of those is happening, because I will fly out to California to sample wine. That sounds Amazing.
1: I will let you know. I will let you and I'll give you the details on the vacation rental as well.
0: Perfect. That's what I'm looking for. So you mentioned that you sold the cows in 2019. Can I ask why? Like I said, we converted to organic in 2007.
1: And during that time, organic was just coming up. And there was a period where organic prices were really good, um, hitting the 30 to $40, a hundred range. Everybody was doing very well. That lasted probably around, you know, through to 2015, I would say. After that, um, so many people converted to organic, I think in not only this area, but just in general, and there's been some more larger organic farms popping up, that there's been quite a bit of oversupply of organic milk in the industry. And it pretty much functions separately of conventional milk, because it's just a complete separate market. So your typical supply and demand characteristics of conventional milk don't necessarily apply to the organic industry. So when it came down to it, um, in 2017, prices starting started to hit rock bottom. Our cost of production was much higher than the price we were getting. And it kind of became a thing of who you were selling your milk to was how much you would profit. Um, so for us, we were selling to one of the lowest paying processors, And so when it came down to it, it was just time to sell the cows because there was so much oversupply of milk, nobody else wanted to take us on. So, and it's, sadly enough, it's been like that for quite a few dairies in our area. Um, Just with different processors in general, we've, I think in the last year, we've had three or four dairies sell out. I think we have about, we're roughly 50 to 60 dairies in our area left. So it's still a lot, but just over the last few years, it's, Been kind of depressing over here about how many people are selling out, and just sometimes it's just the time—not a lot of people to take it over, or just a lot of rules and regulations to follow. And organic dairying is difficult. Um, Trying to find feed itself is really difficult. Feed availability and just
0: all the organic paperwork is—it's a lot. When you sold out the cows and you're figuring out where you're gonna go with all of this and what you're gonna do next. Looking back now, what surprised you the most in terms of an opportunity that you would have never expected? I want to start off by saying
1: everybody in the dairy industry, even though we sold our cows, everybody is still so hospitable for everything that we do. Um, My dad and I actually just went to a producer meeting for a trade organization um, a couple weeks ago, and even though he's not a dairy farmer anymore, everybody just it seemed normal for everybody for us to show up. And that's one of the really nice things and being heavily involved in the show industry and loving to show cows, having so many people, as soon as we sold out saying, if you want to keep any show cows like you and your sister, let us know. We would love to milk them for you. Everybody's just very welcoming and open arms, even though it's kind of a hard time for us. It's been really nice to have people that are there to support us. And then aside from just people in general, moving forward with other projects has been a lot of lessons learned. Like I said, my mom is able to visualize everything. And what once used to be my dad running the show and my dad was doing everything and my mom did the books, it's become a really fun, uh, transition to watch my mom tell my dad to do
0: everything.
1: (laughs) It's been, uh, Her eye and her vision has been really fun to watch and just see all the different pieces that she's adding together. And I might be skipping ahead because I know you're going to ask me something surprising about all this stuff, but I wanted to share it now. My mom is really good at visualizing something and making it happen. Like she is very much so a doer. So when it came time to, you know, renovate the barn and everything, the barn had been there since 1924. So it was definitely something that needed a lot of renovations to it. Um, But she was able to incorporate so many different things from my mom or from my dad's family history, just being on the land into this barn. So for example, she left, we had this huge cow water trough in front of the barn. She left it and they found hundred year old cobblestone underneath some of the cement everywhere. And so she was able to line the cobblestone on this water trough. And it's so fun to have something, all the history behind that. And for example, we have, old wooden stanchions, and they made those into planter boxes to put in front of the barn. And then we had way back in the day when the barn was fir- first built, they used it as a milking parlor when they didn't have very many cows. And there's these railings up on the top. And they used to use it, there was a half-sized barrel in there, and they would like basically use it as a pulley system to get the feed to the cows. So she left the railing kind of in there. And so it was kind of fun to have all the history and the different things. And I have some friends come over and we talk about when we used to do judging practices and we're sitting in one pen. And we're like, this is the fresh pen. We used to bring the cows in here when we wanted to judge cows. And now it's a barbecue area. So it's it's kind of fun, all the different things that are happening and kind of surprising that all that can come together and look so different, but still feel somewhat the same.
0: Yeah, she can she's figured out a way to almost pay tribute to the history of of the farm. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. So the community that really supported you during this transition time, taking on cows for you guys, and you still have some heifers at home. Tell us a little bit about those cows. Most of our cows today stem from two cow families, which are our
1: best years at World Dairy Expo, actually. So uh, one of my cows, AP Gambo Atwood Keenan, she was intermediate champion of the junior show at World Dairy Expo. And then my sister's cow, the Lake Destry Sally, the year after that was grand champion of the junior show and reserve supreme. All the animals that we kept pretty much go back to those. So we have a few daughters and sisters at neighboring dairy farms. Keenan is actually still alive. She's being flushed at Maddox Dairy who are still my partners in her. Um, and I have several heifers out of here, her that are roaming the Hills right now. And so, and then, like I said, daughters, siblings, everything you can think of all at different dairies. So kind of fun, exciting that we still get to go to those different dairies and score our cows and hopefully one day get back onto the color shavings.
0: What kind of cows are you breeding for? Like what are the, the breed characteristics you're pushing for?
1: Originally when we had a dairy, we looked at breeding a lot differently because, you know, we were wanting animals that worked for our operation we had specific things you know cows are walking through pasture all day every day they can walk a couple miles a day you know so uh, great feet and legs utter depth was really important there were just certain characteristics that really worked for our operation now it's been a little bit different we have been a little bit more show um, heavy I guess you would say type heavy because we aren't really worried about milking the cows Um, but we definitely are still using sires that are going to work for the operations that we are putting them in. Um, So still considering, you know, the net merit and TPI indexes as well as health traits. Um, But I mean, health is so important to those show cattle as well, getting them pregnant again. So for the most part, we've been able to, and I guess I would say, so our cows, we kind of have a history. If you look at some of our pedigrees, we go, it's weird. We go show and then we kind of bring it back to something more, well-rounded and then we'll throw show on it again, something like that. So actually surprisingly, a few of our best animals have been moguls, which are not typically show animals, but I have a mogul out of Keenan and she just went 92 points with a 94 point udder. And even though her body looks like a mogul, her udder looks like an Atwood. So sometimes it just works. And especially breeding animals off of that, we found to be really, uh, work really well for us. Um, so just kind of I guess part of it is just seeing, you know, specific animals. What will work for them, and where they need to improve, and if we can improve some of those health traits and um, other
0: characteristics, we might as well do it, so that they can last longer in the herds that they're in. I think it was RT when he was a guest on this show. He was talking about his rotation almost of breeding cows, and it was like two years of show and then one milk production, and then he go back to show cows again. So it's fun to hear you say that that's how you're finding some of that success too, is in doing that balancing act almost between the two parts of it all. So Alex, you are a young person who works in agriculture. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you're doing.
1: The California Federal Milk Marketing Order, or the FMMO for short, basically is the milk pricing regulation branch of the USDA. So, um, We operate as a branch of the Agricultural Marketing Service of the USDA under their dairy program. And we basically do all the milk pooling and come up with the minimum price that farmers have to get paid for their milk. So my position within the federal milk marketing order as an economist is kind of analyzing all of the different prices, statistics that come out, factors that could influence prices. Um, I write a monthly newsletter For California producers that get sent out to all producers. Um, And then I help with price announcements, kind of anything you could think of data collection that would come from looking at milk movements
0: in the state. What are some of the things that you're seeing? Like what was in your most recent newsletter?
1: My last month's newsletter was on prices hitting record values in 2022. Um, As a lot of dairy producers know, prices are hitting really high levels. And, of course, as prices are hitting extremely high levels. Costs are also hitting extremely high levels. So even though you know, I wrote this article on all these price records that are happening right now, those margins are still kind of shrunken, and it's, it's still difficult despite all the record prices. And one interesting thing that I found while doing that article, there were multiple prices, um, whether it was component prices, class prices, blend prices, that were hitting all these record highs, when I when you put those prices on levels equivalent to 2014 based on inflation adjustments, they're high, but there are still some 2014 months that are higher than 2022, which really puts it into perspective. You know, 2014 is always talked about as the golden year of dairy. And when looking at 2022 price levels being above those of 2014, you would think, wow, producers have to be doing so well. But because costs of everything are so high, whether it's feed, labor wages, um, fuel and energy, it just makes
0: all of those, the high revenue mean less. What kind of trends are you seeing going forward for the milk pricing or the milk orders there?
1: In the short term, Chicago Mercantile Exchange futures are showing that prices will be declining. Now, I don't know how much those will decline and to what extent. I can't predict the future, but it's interesting right now, class four remains above class three. So for people who don't know know that class four is butter and powders versus class three, which is cheese and whey. And we're kind of in shorter stocks of butter than normal. Um, and butter production is not as wasn't as high in the spring months during the spring flush, just because we didn't have as much production this year as normal years. So it's pretty much elevating those class four prices. So when it comes to pricing, it's really great if you're shipping to class four processors and handlers because those prices are higher. But class three isn't doing as well. But both are still looking to be above twenty bucks a hundred weight. So. In the long term, it just kind of depends on where you're shipping your milk, um, who your processor or cooperative is and how much they're paying. And there's really, tell- what I see every day is the revenue side of the equation. So I see you know prices and I look at mailbox prices and all those typical things, but it's hard to make assumptions about how a farmer is profiting without knowing those cost side of the equation, because that's not something that I see every day. I can hear from many people, especially in California, about trouble getting corn off the railways and feed availability. And right now the alfalfa price is just skyrocketing, but I don't get to see how those actually impact the bottom line. So it's, although, you know, prices are high, I'm not sure how high they are compared to the costs that people are facing right now.
0: Yes, I saw the article about Maddox Dairy shipping in their hay using Amazon Prime. What a couple of weeks ago, and that got a good chuckle out of it. It's unfortunate that's when it gets down to, like what you have to do to get it there. But it's kind of funny that that's an option. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I had no idea it was an option either, and I saw that on Facebook, and I was like,
0: "Wow, that's interesting." Yeah, new so Amazon cows, Prime shipment. Right, your cows are also benefiting from Amazon now. Exactly. Uh- <laughs> So, Alex, what gets you excited about the future of the dairy industry? So, for me, being an
1: economist and looking at the numbers, sometimes it's really difficult to be super excited about everything going on because you see articles out there, you see the numbers, and there's a lot of depressing information out there. Um, But I think one of the biggest things to me that gets me excited is. You know, going to college at Cal Poly and the University of Minnesota and meeting so many people and seeing so many of my friends go back to their family farms um, and being, you know, multi-generational farms and still having that passion to continue farming is really great to me. Being able to see, you know, despite everybody saying that farms are selling out, uh, industry is consolidating, there's still people that are going back to their farms and doing great improvements to their operations and innovation, innovative technologies, creating efficiencies and finding ways to either expand or increase production or whatever it may be. There's still so many people that are passionate and so many people also going into fields related to dairy, not specifically into farming, that there's so much adaptability going on right now that I don't think there's
0: no way dairy will ever stop. I believe you are correct. And you mentioned that you did your graduate, or your, sorry, your undergraduate at Cal Poly and then graduate at University of Minnesota. So I have to say, go Gophers as an alum. Go Gophers. But how did you make those decisions to go on to further your education, whether it was at Cal Poly or the University of Minnesota?
1: Growing up in the dairy industry, I knew I wanted to go to college and be involved in agriculture. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. I love genetics. I love doing Dairy Bowl with Holstein Association. So I loved you know, industry information. So I decided to go to Cal Poly major in Dairy Science just because it just made sense to me. When I was there, I found out I could graduate early, didn't want to do that. So I added on Ag Business as a second major, you know, hoping I could stay a year longer um, so I could round out my four years. And um, when I was doing my Ag Business classes, I met several professors um, that I really enjoyed working under that were involved on the econ side. So one of my professors actually went to the University of Minnesota um, and he told me, you know, have you ever thought about grad school? And I said, yes, I I mean, I would love to go to grad school. I don't know what I want to do once I graduate. (laughs) Might as well prolong it a little bit more. Um, So he gave me some names of professors to email. And right off the bat, uh, Jolene Hadrich from University of Minnesota emailed me back. She works specifically with dairy farm management economics. Um, A lot of her studies and research are on dairy farm profitability. Um, which I thought was really interesting being on the farm side and having that background and knowledge of farms to be able to go in and research and look at profitability measures. It kind of just clicked right off the bat, and I got into the University of Minnesota, and she gave me a research assistant position. So as a side note, a research assistant position pays for your tuition. So it was kind of a no-brainer to go to the University of Minnesota, and it was a really neat experience despite being halfway in COVID. But toward the beginning there, um, getting there, going to State Fair, and like went straight there and got to see a cow show, of course. And then being able to be at the University of Minnesota studying economics while also being able to go see Riverview Dairy up in Morris, Minnesota. And then we also saw the um, research dairy for the University of Minnesota in Morris, Minnesota. So it was a really cool experience to kind of round out, you know, I guess I'll show up for economics, you know, after that um, with economics, it seemed pretty easy to find a job um, when you have a dairy background and you want to go into a dairy economics and I actually got my current job through um, an internship. When I interned for Western United Dairies, Uh, the economist for them actually sent my resume to a bunch of people and it landed on my current boss's desk. And
0: that's how I ended up where I am today. That's a good, good deal. What did you do your research project on when you were in grad school? So
1: my thesis was on the implications of cow nutrition on whole farm profitability of Minnesota dairy farms. So in other words, I looked at the impact of different feedstuffs, uh, quantity and costs on basically whole farm profitability of dairy farms in Minnesota. Um, in addition to that, after I finished my thesis, I actually got a, um, I was a co-author on a research paper in the Journal and of Dairy Science on um, basically looking at how lifetime break-evens of dairy cows on farms impacts uh, whole farm profitability. And I thought, I loved doing research on farm management specifically, because it's something that, you know, you grow up knowing. And so being able to dig into the finances and really analyze different characteristics, like how many of your cows are breaking even over their lifetime and what's really influencing some dairies to perform
0: in certain years better than others and what could be those factors. Is there a place that that kind of information is readily available for dairy farmers to read and to understand in a non-science way?
1: Yes. So um, the professor that I worked under, Dr. Jolene Hadrich, um, she is an extension economist with the University of Minnesota. So she actually goes out to producers and she relays this information in more sensible terms, in my opinion. Sometimes science-based research writing can get out of control. Um, so she and she actually was on a um, professional dairy producers of Wisconsin webinar a few weeks ago. And she talked about this research and a bunch of the different research that she's been doing. Um, so I would say go to University of Wisconsin, or Wisconsin University of
0: Minnesota's uh, extension page. And I believe some of that information should be on there. So, Alex, do you have any advice for students who are considering higher education beyond high school, whether it's undergrad or grad school? Yes. My advice is to definitely
1: do it. First off, I think that it's not only just the things you learn in the classroom, it's what you learn outside of the classroom that really makes a difference in your future career. Um, I was able to get involved in our dairy club at Cal Poly, dairy challenge, dairy judging, and just being able to do the different events within those organizations was, I feel like what taught me the most out of anything um, through Dairy Challenge, we were able to go to dairies in California, Utah. We went to Georgia, places you would never probably go unless you're, you know, with with a school that, you know, takes you there. So my biggest thing would be, you know, go to college, meet everybody that you can be in, be as involved as you can. And I always hated the idea of networking, <laughs> When I was in college, everybody said, "Oh, you have to go network. You have to go network." Like I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk to random people. But it's funny—you go to World Dairy Expo, you go to any events, and you talk to random people. And if you don't call it networking, it's really easy. Um, and every single internship, every single job I've gotten has been through my network, just through people that I've met at different cow shows, different industry events, Holstein conventions, anything you could think of. The people you meet at different places really helps you out in the future beyond what you think would be imaginable so meet as many people as you can go to as many events as you can
0: and sometimes things will just fall in your lap and take every opportunity so this episode is airing the gosh the week before world dairy expo and and for listeners we are recording this not the week before world dairy expo because i'm helping move everybody on the grounds right now and so Alex, last question is, what is your favorite World Dairy Expo memory? I'm really glad you asked
1: this. I was hoping you would ask me this. My favorite World Dairy Expo memory would definitely be World Dairy Expo in 2017. It was my first year ever showing at World Dairy Expo. I showed a cow at our county fair. Um, She was a junior, second calf, junior three-year-old. I was really excited about her. I always loved judging. So my dad and I knew she was really good, but Never having shown at World Dairy Expo, I wasn't sure the caliber of where she would compete against everyone else. So there were some fitters there. For example, Adam Slutz and Susie Horwell that mentioned, you know, she's really good. If you want to take her back, you should really take her back. And, of course, as a younger kid, I was like, oh, I would love to take her back. I, my dad, she's telling me to go to World Dairy Expo. So um, we sent two of our cows on a trailer uh, with John Cunningham of our John Holsteins, um, a few cows of theirs going back to Joe and Amber Prices in Illinois, and so this was a few months before World Dairy Expo. We were so excited to bring them. We expected. I told I told my parents if I get a top ten medal in the junior show, if I just get one of those medals, I'll be super thrilled. That's all I want: a top ten medal in the junior show. We got there. I thought she looked really good. I had no idea what to expect, and I brought her in the ring. And Lynn Harbaugh and Ryan Crolo were the judges and Ryan Cruella was the associate. And I remember he looked at my cow and he made this face. I was like, that's either really good or really bad. I don't know what to take of that. So, you know, I keep showing and I got pulled first. I, I don't think I've ever ran so fast into the line my, my whole life. And I was shocked. We, I got first in our class and then we went back in for champion and she was intermediate of the junior show, which For somebody growing up on an organic dairy where, you know, organic animals don't go to somewhere like Madison, she had to go somewhere ahead of time. It was a super thrilling and exciting experience. And to this day, one of the best days of my life, just because of how fun and how surprising and how everybody around us reacted. It was a great day.
0: I believe it. Yeah. Listeners, you can't see Alex's face during that answer, but she is grinning ear to ear and just so much passion and excitement coming from her and i'm excited to see those same types of moments happen at expo in just a couple of days and hopefully we will see all of you there and hopefully alex you will find your way out to madison as well even without some cows this year because it would be great to meet you in person yep thank you for having me Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com.